Genesis chapter 12. You remember that uh, Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife, and all that he had. And then we go on to, that's verse 20 and chapter 13. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. You'll notice that um, Abram had made a detour He'd gone down into Egypt and he'd come out with everything that he had. He'd become great in possessions now. Uh, you remember in Haran, he had also gained many possessions because he'd waited for the death of um, Terah, his father, and then he'd moved on in obedience to God and now he'd gone into Egypt in disobedience, really, and God had sent him out again. And now he comes to a place where being great in possessions, he comes back to the place where he first was at the beginning. He's gone in one big circle. He hasn't got far. The place where he called on the name of the Lord is the place where God causes him to come back. And whenever in our lives we set our faces and we begin to go the wrong way, we will always have to come back to the place in our lives where we went wrong. God will bring us back to the last place of encounter in our souls. I'm not talking about a physical place so much as a spiritual place. God wants us to come back to a place where we begin to call upon his name where we come back to the place where we walked off in disobedience to him. And all of us have to learn that lesson. It's a painful lesson. It's an unpleasant lesson. We can make our detours, and God in his faithfulness curses people, and he gets us thrown right back in the place we first were. And we think, well, I haven't got very far. And that's the truth of it. Very often we acquire a lot of spiritual so-called chattels. Uh, we acquire all our doctrines. We acquire great experience in the things of the Spirit. We acquire all sorts of wonderful things in the worldly church, don't we? And after all of it, we really come back to the place of wondering whether we've ever really been saved. Hmm? And whether all we've got is worth anything at all. Fact is, it isn't worth anything, but it just takes us time to discover that. Isn't that so? 
And so we go in this wonderful, wonderful circle, unfortunately. And that is a problem. And so back he comes. Now, God, you remember, had called him to come out from what? Country, kindred, and father's house. All right? Now, Lot was still with him. And Lot speaks of the concealed or compromised, the dark one. And it's that that we don't like to expose that goes with us. Hmm? And still this Lot was tagging along. And God had dealt with him and shown him that he must learn to rely on him. And yet there was Lot. And God brings him back to the same place. And he had to return to worship. And there you'll read in verse 4, Abram called on the name of the Lord. It's there. Right back at the place of the first things. He calls on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. Now here's the thing, they never should have been dwelling together. So God makes the circumstances so bad that they can't dwell together. He's very faithful. He just makes it impossible to stay. Their substance was great. Now their substance was picked up in Haran, which was a place of delay, and also in Egypt, which was the picture of the world. Now they never should have acquired their substance there, and we're going to come on later to see uh, the fruit of it in Abram's life with Hagar. But there they were, and God uses this seeming negative as a very positive thing. Because Lot's also got a lot of substance now, and they just have too much to dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between thy herdmen, my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Abram was now prepared to give up dwelling with Lot. He was prepared to be separated. He says, look, I don't want strife. And that's one thing that you will find if you carry on dwelling in your father's house when God wants you out. You will have strife. And uh, that is unwise. And people who try and keep that kind of bond 
fine, the only thing it produces is strife. And God says, no. And so Abram says to this chap, look, look, you choose. Whichever way you want to go, I'll go the opposite way. And so we see how God has brought a crisis situation into the life. And God is very faithful. He brings crisis situations into our life where we have to make choices. And in life, everything is made up of choices. Choose this or choose that. Choose this way or choose that way. All your life is a choice. And God presents between, before all of us choices. And we have to make choices all the time. And those choices and the choices we make define what we really are. That's the incredible thing. It defines where we really are going, what we've set our hearts on. And the definition is always clear. And it's always easy to see. And it's always easy to comprehend when a choice comes. Now there are two men here. There's Abram and there's Lot. Lot is the one who's concealing things. Lot is the one who's dark in spirit. And I want to just spend some time looking at the nature of someone who's a Lot. That means he walks under another man's light. He's one who borrows someone else's light. He's not a, uh, a light in the world, but he's merely a child of light and he's walking under someone else's light. He hasn't really become light. It's borrowed. And Christ said, walk while you have light because the light will be taken away and then how great will be the darkness. And of course, this becomes true in Lot's life. But let's see how he moves out. Very interesting. First of all, says, And Lot lifted up his eyes. Now, here's the man, and here's the nature which shows the decline. And he takes seven steps down. The first one, he lifts up his eyes and beheld. He looked. The first thing a man who's going to go wrong is he judges with his outward eye. He judges with his natural judgment what he should do. Always, it says in the world that the grass is greener on the other side of the hill. When you get there, you find that usually it isn't. Grass is grass. And sheep should eat it. And I assure you that the idea that so often people find, they say to me, well, I think I should change jobs. I think I should do this. I think I should do that. Because of so and so and so and so. Now, sometimes they need to. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes when they step forth, they're doing it for the wrong motive. And when they move out, they discover that the truth is that the grass wasn't greener on the other side. True? 
always you can look at someone else's life and think how fortunate it would if only I were them. And they look at you and think how fortunate if only I were them. And so you both look at each other thinking that the other one has no problem. That is the old trick that the devil plays on people and everyone has problems. That is one of the glories of God that he has distributed problems to all. And you have your fair portion. You haven't got more than you deserve and you probably haven't got less than you deserve. You have problems. And one of the things is that we always seem to look at people and think, oh dear, you know, why couldn't I have been like them? I trust none of that you think that about me, why you couldn't have been like me. One of me in the world is quite sufficient. But people worry and they, they look and we always envy others. Because it seems, looking at someone from the outside, that they're in such a, a far better position. And yet they never are. Everyone is inundated with the same thing. You have to live day by day. You have to uh, meet people, you have to do things, you have to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. You have to. You have to go and you have to meet with people who are the most obnoxious, objectionable, awkward cusses you could ever come across. And you wonder why it is that everyone else can't be so helpful like you. And you can live with a, a feeling of self-righteousness. Awful. And you realize, I, I often r remember someone saying to me once that they could get on fine if there was no one else in the world. They would have no problems if only everyone else was gone. But the human beings find it hardest to live with themselves. Wherever you go, you take yourself with you. And Let's look at Lot. Now, number one, he looks. All right, he gets his eyes and he has a good look. Number two, he beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Now, he looks and he sees that it looks a well watered place. Now, obviously, that's the place to choose if the cattle are getting hungry. Hmm? Wouldn't you think? But there is not where the sentence ends. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest, unto Zohar. Now, guess what the place looked like? The land of Egypt. A lot had been thrown out of Egypt. But Egypt hadn't been thrown out a lot. 
He'd been in a heathen land and he saw this place and he looked at the plain of Jordan and he said, my, that's beautifully watered. That's just like it was in Egypt. We haven't lost out after all. Of course, Sodom and Gomorrah was there, but, um, well, you know, uh, what does that matter? Look how beautifully fertile the plain is. And he makes his choice. And um, it was before God had destroyed it. And so the second thing that he does, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. He chose it. Now if you'll keep your finger there and turn with me to Isaiah 11. Second thing he'd done was make the choice. Number two he chose. Now, where are we going to? We're going to Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 2. That is not what I want. Yes, it is. Talking of Christ, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, nor approve after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. And you'll notice in verse 3, speaking of Christ, he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Now, how did Lot make his choice? Hmm? Sight of his eyes. He looked and he chose. There it was, just like Egypt used to be. And so I'm going that way. And um, <laughs> the amazing thing was that let's remember that this isn't the last time that Abram has to deal with Lot. We're going to come on to that in a later chapter. Um, but here he is with a choice, and he chooses. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. Now, at this point, Lot decides that is the place I'm going, and he doesn't really have much care for Abram. He separates himself, and he chooses what he considers to be the plum choice. Now, Abram's the one that's looked after him all this time. 
But here he is. Now he's going to walk under his own light. He makes his choice. He doesn't say to Abram, Abram, you know, you called me out from my land. Where shall I go? He doesn't seek God's face. He just looks and makes his choice. And the third thing he does is he separated himself. And then it says in verse 12, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now, remember what I said, that it's always significant the direction a person's going in. And Lot has come out of Egypt, sees plains like Egypt, but look at the direction he takes. He pitches his tent towards Sodom. In other words, that's the direction he's going in. That's where he intends to go. That's the place. And it won't be long. You'll find it... Um, I can't remember where it is now. Um, when he pitched towards Sodom, uh, it's about four chapters further on, I think. You will find four chapters further on that he actually ends up sitting as a judge in the gate of Sodom. But already his direction is set. Now you will find number three is a separation from the man of God. And number four, of course, is he dwelt in the plain, which looked like Egypt. And number five, his direction was towards Sodom or sin. Ghastly, isn't it? Hmm? But, verse 13, the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. They were exceedingly wicked. Why do you think Lot pitched his tent that way? His heart was there. Really, Lot's heart was there. You remember when the angels come to deliver them a little later on in the story, which we're going on into, he didn't want to leave, did he? The angels had to take him by the hand and drag him out. A great mystery. That man who'd walked with a man who knew God and had encounters with God, in the end he decides to go his own way. Everyone has choices. Do you remember Elisha going with Elijah? And Elijah kept saying to him, no, stop here. And he said, no, I won't leave you. And he said, go on, tarry here. I've got to go on. Four times Elijah tries to shake Elisha off. And Elisha says, no, I'm coming with you. We're going to go and do the story of Elisha sometime later on this year. But the, the thing was that every time there comes a choice, 
And the choice of separation is a t- choice where it's dangerous. Always watch out when God gives you choices how you choose. A choice needs to be made from God's counsel. And I'm talking about the choices as God gives them. God will bring you to a crossroads in your life. All the time there are certain crossroads. And people will choose to go one way or the other. Now, basically, it's governed by their hard attitude. But those choices are eternal. It locks you in to a descent. And this had locked Lot in to a descent into sin, into Sodom, into an awful place. And the first thing he did was to look. The second thing was to choose. And then it was just progressive. And then, of course, number six was the result. The result was he ended up living in Sodom. Progressive. And if you look with me, just flick over the page to chapter 19. And number seven, the seventh thing in this progression is in 19.1, you'll find, and there came two angels to Sodom and even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go on your ways. He entertains two angels, but you know the awful thing, sitting in the gate in those times meant that he was a judge in the people. He actually received positions from the men of Sodom. They made him a judge. Now that is the awful thing. Not only did he set his face towards Sodom, he ended up living there. Then he goes one step further and he gets promoted to be a judge in Sodom. Sitting in the gate was a place where judgment was. And a man that sat in the gate was one who judged the city. And he was one of the elders of the city of Sodom. That is awful. Progressive downtrend. I want to show you um, from the scriptures, just to show you that this is just a common theme, um, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, And verse 6, And when the woman saw the tree, that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her. Now what did she do first? Looked, saw, handled, fell. 
And it's always that. The first thing that ever brings a man or woman down is the eyes. You look and you desire. Now the eyes are the most awkward part of the body because somehow your eyes see even when you don't want them to see. I mean, you can close them, but you'll walk into a lamppost. Uh, there are things that are just there that suddenly confront your eyes. Now, when you see things that you don't want to see or shouldn't see, then you can govern whether you're going to turn off your heart and your mind from those things or whether that kind of whets your appetite. And then, of course, it's not long before your appetite's wet and you're going through into sin. Hmm? You look, you desire, you choose. Don't you? That's why all down the high street they put up shop windows and all these fantastic bargains. Now you look and you notice something says fantastic bargains and you think, I wonder what that is. And you walk over and you look in the window and you see something and you think, oh, that's cheap. And then you begin, you, before you walked there and looked at it, you didn't actually desire it. But looking at it, you desire it, and then you begin to work out whether you can afford it. Hmm? It's a natural thing. That's why people advertise. Because they know that it'll reach to your desires. Of course, it catches the eye, first of all. And then if it's the thing that you want, it's not long before the desire takes root. And this is Lot's declension. He comes to a place of choice. Am I going to follow God's way or am I going to go my way? Now, he wouldn't have looked at it like that. He would have looked for the fact of, you know, becoming independent. I mean, no man should follow man. I mean, we can all know God for ourselves, can't we? We can all walk our own way, can't we? We can all have an understanding, can't we? Uh, we don't need other people, do we? And that is often the kind of thing that's put over to people and you find that is the beginning of the descent. And the descent always takes the same route. Some people go down it quicker because there's a steeper hill. Other people just take more time. But the steps are always the same. First the sight, then the choice. Now, of course, at any point we can cut it off. I can say no to the choice. I might not say it, but I can. And that's the awful thing. That descent. And the Lord... Uh, said, verse 14, unto Abram, after that Lot had sep was separated from him. And you'll notice that uh, the separation had come, and it was after the separation came that the Lord said, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, 
then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it thee. Now, God waited till Lot was separated, and then he says to Abram, right, I'll give this land to your seed. You're going to possess it. Your seed's going to possess it. Now, what I want you to do is look to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. I'm going to give it all to you. Now go and take possession. Walk through it. And you remember that walking through the land always speaks of possessing the thing. And so at last, Abram has compromise taken out of his life. The concealed thing goes, and at last, God says to him, right, now you're ready to possess what I'm going to give you. Now you're ready to have possession of it. Now, true, it was for his seed, but he had to, in actual fact, walk through the land. God wanted him to walk through it, and in walking through it, possess it, in a spiritual sense. And if you turn with me to um, Proverbs 19, Proverbs 19, we get this little verse. And I like Proverbs. It's a nice little book. And in Proverbs 19, verse 21, it says this. All right, have you all got it? Proverbs 19 uh, and verse 21. There are many devices in a man's heart. Who would agree with that? Huh? The devices in a man's heart are so many. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. No matter what you scheme, friend, God will get his way. And that's the truth. Now, poor old Lot had stuck along with Abram. Lot had stuck by his side. Lot had gone with him and traveled with him. He'd even gone down into Egypt with him when the famine was on. But God had always told Abram to come out from his father's house. Lot had no business to be there. The counsels of God stand sure. God had told him to do it. And if he'd done it willingly, it wouldn't have been a problem. So God said, so you won't do it my way? I'll make you do it my way. And so he did. You see, Lot wasn't going to have a part in the inheritance. And Lot never inte was intended to have a part in the inheritance. In fact, to have his nephew there was a dangerous thing. Because don't forget, he was going to sire uh, a son. And Sarah was barren for a long time. And God knew that Abram would probably have taken Lot as his heir. So God had to separate him from Lot. God knew all about the intents of the heart. 
And man's devices are like that. You see, don't forget this was his brother's son. Abram hadn't had a son. Abram wanted a son. Abram lacked a son. And I'm sure he treated Lot like his son. Aren't you? It was the thing that was after his own heart. It was something that he hadn't been able to produce. And God was well aware of it. And God didn't want anything being twisted in. Now, I believe it was just a device of Abram's heart. But God's counsel stands sure. God said, your seed, Abraham's going to possess it, not your son's or your brother's seed. Your seed. Not your brother's, not your nephew's, yours. And that's the incredible thing. God knew exactly what was going on inside Abram. And so he said, right. Now you'll remember later on, Sarah says, take Hagar to be your wife, Abram. I'm without child. In other words, once again, they try the flesh to produce the thing. And God separates them again, doesn't he? Says, this isn't going to be the end. And God's very faithful. He won't let us compromise and he won't let us take second best. Lot speaks of compromise because basically Lot would have fulfilled the position Isaac had to have. And the whole thing was being worked out. And God was determined to have his way. Now in our lives, God's determined to have his way. There is no way that you are going to go your way. You can get it for a little while, but be assured of this. God will work slowly his wheels will grind exceeding small there is no doubt about it that he will grind you into the dust but he will have his way there is no way round it God is sovereign his counsel is going to stand and that is what's so wonderful about it there's no way through or round it and we go on and um and uh, he's told, arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Amen. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it a shame that it took so long to get the promise and to actually begin to participate in it? Hmm? In our lives, you know, God has made a promise for us, salvation. It's total and complete and instantaneous. Do you know the problem? You can't begin to rea realize the reality of it until you've been separated from your country, kindred, father's house. And then God says he'll show you the land. Now, isn't it amazing that God never showed Abram the land and he never told him to walk through it and he never told him how much he was going to possess until those three things were accomplished. He just waited. He dealt with Abram. He still spoke to Abram. But he didn't show him. All right, Abram? You're going to have to wait. And God's faithful. He'll stop us and he'll cause us to wait until those things are dealt with. 
Now you might be like a lot. God might not have shown you what you're going to possess and you might have made your choice. That's what charismatics do. They look in 1 Corinthians 12 and make the choice of the land they're going to dwell in. What gift they're going to have. What ministry they're going to have. How they're going to work for God. A lot of people do that. They end up in Sodom. That's the awful thing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, thou knowest our hearts, for thou searchest them. And thou knowest that many are the devices of our hearts. But, oh God, what we need is we need light. We need light to know what's really going on inside ourselves. For we never really see it clearly. We need light to understand our needs. We need your help. Lord, we need to be separated from our country, from our kindred, and from our Father's house before we can begin to walk through the land, the land of our souls that we must possess. Oh God, give us light to see where the compromises are where the concealed things are, where the wrong things are. Keep us, O oh God, from making a choice to set our tents in the wrong direction. In your spirit and love and mercy, begin to draw us into your truth. Give us a desire and a burning and a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness. Let us see our need of thee. Let us see our mighty desire of thee, O God. Lord, open our understanding to understand your word. Keep us, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Can you just open the doors at the back? It's very musky in here. Now, the reason I've um, quickly gone through the word is I felt that it would be a good opportunity. Now, you know, one of the things that people have to do is declare with their mouths. And some people have begun to respond to God and move into things. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity tonight while someone goes to get the tea ready, which is a very necessary part of all our meetings for me. Um, if those who would like to would come and give testimony to what God's been doing. Now, I don't want to be trampled on in a stampede, but I felt that there are things that God's been dealing with and speaking to you. Now, it's good to get up and declare it. We all need to do that, hmm? don't we? 
but it's one of the hardest things to do. So I'm giving you opportunity. You can declare it to all. The word's been spoken, it's clear now. The choice is yours. You have testimony to give. You may come and share that which God has been doing, is doing, and will do. Alright? It's your opportunity. Something you need to do. Because I have not been well today. And if I don't sit down, I think I might fall. <laughs> okay? So you come and share. Come on, Rob. You can just queue up. You can make an orderly queue. Well, I, don't don't I, don't know where I don't know where to start, really, because... Well, just start with yesterday. <laughs> that means I'll only be sharing for about five minutes. Less than that. No, literally, I just don't know where to start because over the last few weeks, one's come to realize that, well, as one must have started, there was just such one whacking great void and so much of what one wants God to do in one's life. Now, I know God draws a person, and praise God for that, but I just pray that they'll continue to draw. Because what I find is so often you start and in there it's like, a, it's like a sewer for the middle of one cleaned out and my goodness there's just so much to do and I long that God would just have his mercy and would just start to deal and to really deal with those things that I just don't like I just want to hate and to get cleaned out and I pray that he will continue to draw and make aware of those things that he wants to touch in my life and to just deal with them and uh, that's what he's been doing recently, and I pray that they continue. I just wanted to share what came across so very clearly this morning, that it's God that does the fighting. Um, I'm a great one for trying to do things on my own strength and getting nowhere. And it's just reassuring to know that it is God who's going to get the victory, he has got the victory. And he's doing the fighting. And we can trust him. He's going to be the faithful one. He's going to do it. It's not up to our own strength at all. And just some practical things as well. The, the miracle of the baby turning around um, in shame. It was for so long locked in an awkward position. And God in his mercy turned that baby around. So we can look forward to a natural birth now. A surfboard, so they tell me. <laughs> uh, who's next? <laughs> Don't be bashful. Praise God. <coughs> well, un unfortunately. Well, we didn't have the benefit of a pre-marital talk from uh, from from Michael before we came, and it, 
and, and it came about a year too late. Um, no, it was post-marital. <laughs> Don't be graphic. Don't be graphic. <laughs> Just be general. be general um, <laughs> we, we, we ended up with some super spiritual ideas on contraception um, found they didn't work um, so to, to, to be honest we, we weren't trying for a baby but you know neither were we trying too hard the other way um, we've been convicted of our lack of um, practical and responsible thinking that we should have been more realistic and instead of us getting um, situation circumstances right before going ahead and having a family they've had to be um, arranged um, the other way around so that things are more practical now that and the baby comes along to be all right. But at the same time, I've learnt about my own um, wrong ideas of, of holiness and righteousness. And in particular, I can tell you that I've, I've made, made virtues out of things like infrequent sex and and even getting up early um, perhaps even prayer and Bible study but I've made virtue out of those things and what I've done over the, the past week is that I've been robbed of I've robbed myself of those virtues I've been I'll be, I'll be honest I've been less disciplined in in prayer and Bible study I don't want to go on that way um, because I have got a true desire to pray and to read God's word. But over the past week, that's what I've had to miss out on because I've made that a virtue. And now I hope I'll <coughs> be doing it for the right reason. Uh, you you better come back a second. I, I, I. Uh, what did I tell you to do? Not to get up so early. You know, why? So as not to be so tired. Yeah, now, you know, if you end up in a state of collapse with exhaustion, it does appear that maybe you are not sleeping enough wouldn't you agree and I don't think God wants people to go to sleep in ditches in their car or any other thing uh, 
Melvin doesn't drive, which is fortunate for him. Uh, but, I mean, the fact was, and I want to make this clear, that I never suggested to Melvin that he shouldn't read his Bible and shouldn't pray. What I did say was that he should cut down the time that he devoted to it, which was so unreasonable that it was destroying both his marriage, his home, and his physical body. Now that is ridiculous, and he'd made a virtue out of being so extreme that he'd become puritanical like the monks of old, and he might as well have locked himself up in a little cell. That is not of God, it is not holy, and it is a wrong concept. But I never suggested, and I want to make it clear to all of you, that he shouldn't read his Bible or shouldn't pray. That is going too far the other way, which I know that he will quickly readjust to. Otherwise, he shall find me giving him some post-marital advice uh, of the third degree. Uh, but it is important that you understand Melvin got trapped by the false idea of piety. And... Um, it is a snare for many, many young people. Uh, because he didn't go to a church that was was a church, um, then he got all the wrong concepts. And it was unfortunate, wasn't it? And you're out of that now. But you've got to come up the other side. So he's busy getting up the other side. Now he is living with uh, in Bushy Lee now, he's taken over from the girls and uh, Peter and Claire are getting married so they'll have a flat each and he's looking for another job which is wise where he can earn sufficient to feed his family because he is definitely going to get one at the end of eight and a half months. Uh, that's determined. But the thing was that the reason it was he got into that position was because of a wrong understanding of holiness. A, 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 a totally alien understanding of it. At least alien to God. And so we all need to realize that there's a balance in everything. But he isn't suggesting for a moment that He's going to quit Bible study or prayer, are you? No. Good. Okay, I thought I'd just put that right in case one or two of you thought that he flipped or I was preaching not under law, under grace. Most certainly I don't. Okay? Thank you. Melvin. Has anyone else got something they'd like to share? Come now. I have one confession to make. Every time I look at Colin, I think, do you know he actually did sell me a curvy? <laughs> 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 well, actually, he didn't sell it. It sold itself. <laughs> yeah, I always remember uh, about two weeks ago, he said, well, you, all you can give the tea out to people. Do you remember he said, um, he said it to you, I'll never buy a curvy, so... If he comes to you, if Simon comes to you and says, Michael's going to buy one, don't believe him, because I'm not going to. Yeah, he's, he's, um, I mean, it sells itself. <laughs> <laughs>
No, well, actually, I didn't buy it all. Now, he must be honest. And um, I didn't buy it all. There was no way I was going to buy it all. There was no way I wanted my wedding ring polished by a hoover. Uh, and there was no way I wanted to drill a hole in the wall with a hoover. <laughs> he keeps saying vacuum. <laughs> it was funny, when he did the demonstration, he would push it up and down the carpet and say, it hoovers beautifully, and, I mean vacuums. And, and he kept try changing it, you know, which made the error more apparent. But, it, no, it's... um. Mm. Anyway, what were you going to I was going to come up anyway. Maybe it was kicking me. Um, things have really happened, started happening the last three weeks. Um, I don't know, I can't explain it, but they really are starting to move in my life. And I think this morning was great. God really came in, I mean, in such a way. Uh, I've yet, um, I, the first time I've ever met him like that, met, met him like that. And he came like a fire to my heart. It was, it was a cleansing fire, and I actually felt God in my, my soul. And it, it thrilled my soul. And all I want to say is that's, I don't know really how to say it, but to have more of that is a desire that's burning in my heart now. And for God to deal with me more and more and more. Amen. And I'm just thrilled with that. I'm just thrilled anyway. <laughs> Amen. Come on, Carolyn, you can come and share something. It was beautiful this morning. You might think, well, why couldn't we have done the same tonight? I tell you, if God doesn't choose to do the same, you won't do it. You can't reproduce, and I never try to. I just uh, knew that tonight we should just share a word and then let people give testimonies. So that's what we're doing. Come on, Carolyn. Bring your son. And just after the baby's got, uh, born, it's such somehow spiritually you seem to sag right down to absolute no level at all. And you know it's happening, and part of you fights against it, and, and part of you hasn't got the energy to make any fight at all. And I mean, it's, it's happened to me now twice. And difficult to pick yourself up out of that, or to let God rather pick you up out of that. And yet, I've known just in these last weeks God in his mercy coming to me again, in a way I thought that had dried up for such a long time. And I know that he's put a, a cry in my heart that somehow keeps 
They just keep brimming up out of me. It's one astounding reason just doing the dishes or changing one of the children or just, just some little simple things. And the quiet is put there. Lord, give me a heart after thine. Like, it won't stop coming. It just comes and comes and comes again. But I should have a heart after his. And you know, I, I look at you sometimes and you're all so good to me when, when Stephen was on the way and I wasn't well. And everybody cared for me and brought me things. And it was just so tremendous how you cared for me and how I thought that this was my family. Because, you know, um, a long time, well, it was a couple of years ago now, and we had that awful incident with my parents. And God showed me there in that verse where if you leave family and home for his sake, he'll restore it to you a hundredfold. And he made that a promise to my heart. And when I, before I knew I was expecting Stephen, um, God showed me then I was going to have another baby. And he showed me that at the time the baby came, that some of those promises that he'd made were going to start to come true. And that was a promise that has come back so clearly to me, that this is my family. And these are the people I love, and I know you love us as well. It means so much. You really mean so much to us. And I yearn that I might have a heart like God's come to you, because I know my heart can be so hard to you. And so hard to be the people of my God. And in that cry that comes, that cry that my heart might be like unto God's heart, it's a cry also for you that I might be able to yearn for you. And I might be able to know what it is to cry out for you as well for myself. Amen. You got blessed this morning too, didn't you? When I come back, you didn't say anything about it. I got blessed in the month previously, about two weeks ago. And I was in the concert room, I can't remember what day it was. And I know God shifted something from the inside of me that had been there for an awful long time. And I, I didn't really know what it was. I'm not really very sure now what it was. I must know that God lifted something out of me that um, must have gone so deep. And yet I've found since then, Ruth said to me, you'll find some, something's gone, you'll suddenly miss something. And I have. I sort of miss the tension in me about stupid things. I used to get so tense sometimes about fiddly little things at home. Um, I don't know if that's all, but that's one thing that I've noticed since gone. Just um, a tension you know, inside me that God has released and taken away. I keep, I sort of, Oh, I didn't do it that time. I keep looking for it <laughs> to see if it's going to come back. <coughs> but it hasn't. I know that went. And then this morning, um, well, I can't explain in words this morning, can you? You can't really explain when God really meets your heart and something breaks inside you. Um, I just know that when Michael spoke the words of God out this morning, there was such an answer to the, the cry that was inside me, that cry that how much I wanted 
more of God and more to be able to flow and not to feel the barrenness and the dryness and the terrible frustration and desperation. This is what it's what I've felt for such a long time. Yeah. It was it was like as if every word was just for me and not for anybody else. I'm very sorry about that, but <laughs> Just walk in it. Uh, is anyone else something they'd like to share? How about you, Peter? Don't share your cold. Well, I'm the reason that uh, there is always going to be a crying Carolyn's heart because she has to live with me, you see. There's no danger of that happening. Um, I seem to be getting um, busier and busier and uh, and yet what the Lord's really been saying to me over the past today um, yesterday, the day before um, is that there, there isn't long really I don't know why I always seem to come back and say that but no, I, don't waste your life um, and um, in all the busyness, I, I've been, um, God's really been sort of pulling me up to make sure I get my, the aim right. I mean, you do so many things, you miss out on the, on the main thing, and, and that's been a real danger with me. And um, I'm thankful to God that, that during the time Michael was away, God was faithful in every area. And in my business during March, it was the best month I've ever had. And um, He's been so faithful to us. And uh, there seems to be more and more pressure uh, coming for for me to become unlazy in the right things, if you know what I mean. Um, I seem to be lazy in the, in the very things which matter. I seem to be very good at being very busy about things which it's easy to be busy about. <laughs> And uh, that's what God's really been hitting home over the past week or so. <laughs> Certainly given us two human alarm clocks that um, work very well. Um, but so that's what's been happening with me in, in the past few days. But uh, life's enjoyable, I say. Amen. Well, come on. Are you coming, Sean? was about um, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago on the first day upstairs and uh, Michael said that um, if we have nothing we get nothing he said when you pray you must um, put one one thing in your heart and pray and just get this thing to happen and uh, in a meeting I was very touched by it I was really, um, I was really touched this evening. I don't know, it's just, um, I thought it was wonderful because I, my aim at the beginning, I thought, well, Lord, for four years I've been coming and uh, I'm in and out and in and out and uh, I go nowhere. 
And uh, well, I, I, I want to, to come to somewhere. I want to come to... Uh, I want to meet you. And, uh, well... Well, and um, I'm still after last night. <laughs> you must what? Thank God for last night, yeah. Amen. I saw his car. And I want to tell you, I believe it's a miracle that he's still in one piece. Driving that way, it's little wonder he lost his hair. But <laughs> uh, amen. Come on, anyone else? God had to deal with me in me was uh, coming out of my kindred and uh, that meant moving out of Michael and Ruth's house and I (laughs) 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 and um, which I didn't want to do um, for various reasons and one of them was that I well one of the ones that I said was that um, I wanted time to learn from them Um, and um, and many days I thank God for giving me um, Shane and Rob's home to live in and for the many things that I learned from them And this morning I was feeling um, 
that I'd been very busy and that I hadn't had time um, for God um, and that I hadn't given him enough time and despite what might have been saying earlier in the week and the resolve that I'd made then that I, that I hadn't done that at all and um, um, and this morning's meeting was one which I don't I don't know the words to use but um, Well, one th- yeah, one thing that happened was that when uh, Ruth prayed with me, I was very much afraid that I was being a fraud and that I was um, crying in the wrong spirit and so on. And I was thinking about that. And um, I was just praying that the other king would be driven out of my mind and out of me and that Jesus would be the, the one and only king. And, um, and then... Um, Then later in the meeting, then then God just touched me, and I was then able to to be re- he ha- made me really open to him, and um, in a new way. should be broken for a long time. There's all sorts of things that I can do that are wrong with me. And it was so lovely this morning to see that Jesus would fight all our enemies for us and he would break the bonds and that one day we'll be free. That's the truth. He's the one who fights. How can you fight an enemy you can't see? You can't. He doesn't do it for us. He's down the tube. Anyone else? Come forth. I'd just like to testify to the faithfulness of God, really, in my life. Because um, a few weeks ago, just before Michael and Ruth got back, I think I'd got to a p- quite an all-time low where work was concerned, and it was really getting me very dejected and down. And um, it's when you're in that sort of state of mind that you sort of keep harking back to the past, and or what it could have been like and, and that sort of attitude of mind and um, 
As a result, I was a pretty awful person to live with at that time. Didn't make it very easy for Sue. And um, it was just in that meeting on the Tuesday evening that we had after Michael had got back. Michael and Lisa got back. I think it was a Tuesday. Yes. When we were singing, I will call upon the Lord. Um, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. And uh, Kelly's was a real enemy to me at the time. Because <laughs> um, things were going incredibly badly. Uh, I was really becoming quite adrift from targets and things like that. And I was losing a lot. Not through any fault of my own, but it's just that people were deciding to pull out. And I was getting really despondent about it. And I was talking with Rob, actually, um, with Rob Clemens, and um, he said to me, he said, well, um, do you believe God can really do things for you? And I said, yes. He said, do you believe that he can get his target for you? <laughs> and I said, yes. But the point is, I'd gone out of belief, really, as a result of the way I was. And um, as a result, I was just not really doing anything. I was just becoming more and more despondent and lower. And so I really cried out to God that he would really give me a positive attitude in my job and that he would provide for me that if I just trusted him. And God has really blessed me since I really put my mind to trusting him. And, um, well, it's just incredible in the past couple of weeks that um, he, you know, just, just by that one step, act of will on my part. I mean, I know I can't do anything because it, everything was going wrong in my own strength. And that just by that act of will to trust God that he can remove whatever mountain it is. And um, it was just amazing, really. In a couple of weeks, I got nearly £2,000 worth of new business. It sort of pulled me back a little bit, which was good. And it was so encouraging. And it became a lot more easier to really believe. Well, believe that God will do things for me. And it gave me a new confidence, really, which I'd never had before. I know we've got a lot of things. I mean, a lot of, a lot of things in, to cope with. I mean, <laughs> moving after two weeks. I mean, well, various other things. And, but in each instance, God has showed us that he, has, he will provide for his own. And that has really thrilled my heart, actually, that God does provide for us in every single way. But we've got to take a step ourselves and really trust him. Amen. Anyone else?
persevere and pray them all the way through to the end, no matter how long it takes. There's all sorts of problems which I can see, areas that need to be dealt with, I've got to stick at. But God's shown me how faithful he's been in the past. Um, a couple of weeks ago I went up to Romford shopping with uh, Albert and Sheila and Jean. And I was in a situation where in the middle of a marketplace there's thousands of people around us. A situation which the year previously, several years previously, would have been absolute, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. I had such phobias. Now, it might seem difficult to anybody to comprehend. But I was fine, absolutely confident, <coughs> and I knew that God had done it. Amen. And it happened about three days later, I got stuck in a train um, for three hours outside Liverpool Street. And I used to remember the train journeys I had when I used to work in London. And even if minor delays would Put my, you know, I was absolutely screaming inside my head, <laughs> but this time I was just there and singing choruses inside my soul and, <laughs> and uh, relaxed and smiling. And it was, you know, just great to look back and see what God had done, how He'd released me, made me free. What about you, Margaret? Is your name Margaret? It is, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what you want me to talk about. The weather? <coughs> well, it's been a wet day. <laughs> oh, look at that. That is nice of you. Well, has God done anything in your life or not? I didn't, I stopped taking these 
drugs which I was on. And just I found during that time that God was very precious to me and uh, opened his word up to me and gave me a promise and uh, that he was the rock and from Psalm 63. And uh, I stood on that really during that time and trusted in God and uh, my faith was quite high at that time and uh, until Michael came back <laughs> and so <laughs> but it just so happened that I was getting on fine so I thought <laughs> well he came back and he came and prayed for me one night and uh, I don't know he said some things and I thought I don't know this is strange I thought all this had been dealt with and uh, it seemed to um I don't know, clamped down on me again all the fears that I'd been walking in perfect freedom up to that point and although I'd had a lot of outward symptoms I knew that inside I was free and it was lovely but then I, it all came back again and for oh, three weeks now I've been weathering some kind of storm and um, things have been happening and things haven't been getting any easier and I think this morning I reached rock bottom and come to the end of myself I suppose really and there was no way that um, I could move in anything at all and we had a lovely meeting as you've all been saying and uh, in that um, it took a long long time but um, I did find that uh, there was a release again and uh, I just trust now that I can find my faith in God again and uh, go on but I must say that I had reached an all time low and uh, I'd got terribly confused again and uh, I didn't really know what I believed and as Mike had been talking about going back into Egypt you know it just seemed to apply to me somehow because I'd been thinking all sorts of things that I wouldn't have dreamt that could have even come back into my mind again but they did but I know now that I've got to set my will again and go on and go the way where God wants me to go and to stay in the place where God wants me because I've even been looking again at moving out of the area and it doesn't seem possible after all that God's done for me but that's how low I've been but this morning I feel that God did something and I say I trust that he will keep me because there's nothing I know that I can do about it but trust God. Yeah, don't go away, don't go away. You see, let, let me, I'll explain to you now, um, so that as you've said it, you know, um, publicly, I'll just explain it publicly. Uh, what can often happen is that we believe something's dealt with, and we can live in a, an apparent freedom of it, but it's not really being pressed into our lives and being got out of our souls and therefore the disfigurement is still in the soul of the man even though apparently he's living in freedom from the thing and what God wants to do is not let us live in a superficial freedom which is what Pentecostals or Charismatics will end up in but he wants his dealings to go so deep that the deliverance is a deliverance and a healing in our souls 
so that our soul becomes free. Now, what happened was when I prayed with Margaret, nothing came on her, but that which was within rose up and reasserted rather than came away. And this morning what happened was God began to set her free inwardly. Now there's a great difference. You see, there's three areas. There's a spirit realm where you're set free when you're regenerate. Then there's your soul realm. And the areas of your soul must be possessed each one one at a time. But you see, we can feel, as long as we don't tread on certain areas, we'll find an apparent freedom. The only problem and the only time you find the enemy is when you begin to push into the areas where he's dwelling. In other words, you can liberate, say, say you have this ballroom, and you liberate that half of the room, but the enemy's in this half. As long as you live in that half, you won't be aware of the enemy. But the moment you try and transverse into that half, you find the enemy's there, strong and powerful. That's his territory and he's not about to give it away. And that's merely what happened. I don't like people living with half freedom or living in one territory, which is free, and is a genuine freedom. I want to see the whole possessed. And so I always push to attack where the enemy is. And that is what the dealings of God in the life are. It's teaching us how to possess our souls in peace. But there's an almighty war first. And you see, what you've done, you were living in the peaceful side. But what about the other side? You've got to possess that too. Now, there's no way you're going to get left, you see, in, in the... Um, that looks hot. Um, there's no way you're going to get um, left in with a false possession. So what happens when God's spirit begins to move and things are developing. Light shines where darkness is. And the trouble is, darkness doesn't like light, so the battle comes again. But that's God's battle, not ours. And you see, it's got to come with all of us, the areas which are bondages, God will bring to light. Now the trouble is, we then think that it's a retrograde step. Everyone does. When you find there's a fight on, you all think you're going backwards. You're not. You're going forwards. Because what's happening is actually God's bringing you to possess something more than you had before. It's nice to live in that half of the ballroom where there are no enemies. But you've only got half of what you're entitled to. So you have a right to take the other half. But in trying to take the other half, you're going to find that there'll be one or two casualties and you'll get knocked down one or two times and you've got a real warfare on. And that is what the fight and conflict in the soul is. And you see, I don't let anyone live in a little bit because that's bad for them. We can then live uh, in delusion. Not that we're deluded about our freedom, but we're deluded about the fact that there's so much more to possess. Does that explain it to you? It's brought a lot of village. <laughs>